dig this. First 125 Moro here from Grundle. Kingsley turns that five sideways. Brian the gate is down. This is a sharp left-hander. Who's gonna shot? Looks like Darcy Lange on that Richmond Gallon Kawasaki gets the jump. That's where it all started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Justified Cultures, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. Fly racing, Bill's Pipes, W Wheels, Maxima USA, Moto Ice Wrap, 100% Goggles, and Moto Stuff make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by Fly Racing and Justified Cultures. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With us on the line, we've got none other than the Bud Man himself, Buddy Antonez. Buddy, how's it going? It's going great, man. Glad to uh, be on your podcast. Hey, thank you for making some time for me. It's a beautiful uh, Monday evening, uh, seven seven fifteen on the on the on the West Coast where you are. How are things in California this beautiful evening? Oh my God, it's heating up cooling down um it's actually had some cloud coverage today so it, it was supposed to be a hot one but it took it down probably seven degrees and it's a beautiful night yeah awesome, great monday man. well uh f- fall is in the air as far as winnipeg manitoba is concerned uh the the temperature is dipping as low as uh, damn near zero but uh <laughs> um Thankfully, I do have some uh, plans to uh, to head down for uh, not only the Vet Nationals but also some Supercrosses in uh, in the new year, and uh, hopefully get to uh, finally uh, put uh, put my hand in yours and sh- finally shake your hand. Man, a big fan. I've uh, been been watching you from afar for quite some time. Hope that didn't sound creepy. No, not creepy at all, man. I'm glad I still got a couple fans out there. Uh, I actually just had to call Shift the other day and get a, a jersey because I didn't have any more jerseys. I had a fan. Uh, DM me and want a jersey for his man cave, and uh, you know we were making the joke. A couple of my fans still out there want things, so um, it, it's uh, it's it's humbling at this point. You know, um, you're in a point where you're in the midst of it, and you know you kind of take things for granted, and now you just you eat everything up that you can. Oh, absolutely! It's. Um... It's one of those things where a lot of kids growing up watch those uh, the, the super cross races, the arena cross races, especially on speed when they used to overplay uh, mm-hmm. those arena crosses more than a uh, Justin Bieber song. Uh, there's 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 a ton, there's a ton of uh, of kids uh, and, and adults alike that uh, still appreciate and uh, are and, and would line the fences to see you uh, rip a motorcycle, my friend. Well. They may not have to be way too long. Um, uh, I haven't really told many people, but I'm looking at trying to do Tennessee next year. So uh, I haven't raced it since, I think, 88. And uh, hopefully in the old man's class and um, go have some fun. No doubt. The last time that you were in there, 1988, the same year that I was born, uh, (laughs) uh, went 1-2 in the 85cc classes and... uh, 
Brian Swink beat you by by uh, a, just a couple of points. You, mm-hmm. Swinkster went one one two. You went two two one. One just getting, uh, I remember that last moto like it was yesterday. Tell oh me my about god! It. Me and Swink battled for the whole stinking moto. I mean, it was just like one of those races that was just like you know you just you just you both just giving it everything you got, you know. And yeah. uh, it, I think it was a stock class, right? Uh, yeah, that's your 85 stock class, yeah. Yeah, it was a stock class. And uh, the funny thing was is that, you know, um, back then R&D did my, my, my bikes in Suzuki. And, um, you know, you know, everyone tried to push the limits of the rules in the stock class. And um, I think at the time, um, I, I don't remember 100%, but I think they put my suspension back to stock. <laughs> And and took put every because we heard they were going to protest in, in the last motor like yeah. somebody was going to protest, and um, I put the suspension back to stock. And I remember you know just I don't know what Swing did to his they did to his bike or anything like that. But the battle was unreal. After we come off the the line or whatever and under the tent where the tent is now, we didn't have tents back then. You had just kind of sit in the sun. Um, there was talking about protest, and Dean left the brake snake on my brake. And that was at the time, you know, not, not legal. And then looking at everybody's bike, it would have transpired back to like fifth or sixth winning the championship. And, uh, I think everybody dropped everything at, at the time. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, I was young, you know, but, uh, I remember hearing them all talk about, you know, with anything with protests going on, I was the type of kid. I didn't want anything to do with it. I just wanted to race my dirt bike, but That's the rough. race was, the race was great. So, four, four, I guess you're probably about 15 years old, uh, like, trying to uh, dodge uh, any fi- type of... 15, yeah, I was 15. You're right. Yeah, yeah. You were 15 years old and trying to mm-hmm. dodge any type of uh, protest on your motorcycle. But um, Brian Swink, probably not a guy that you would have saw a lot of throughout the year. And then all of a sudden, the two of you guys are squaring off at uh, at Hurricane Mills. Like, how, how often did you see some of these guys around the the country? Like, you probably, uh, you and Jeff Grafton probably went, like, well, you were probably waxing Jeff on a weekly basis yeah. down in Cal- California. You know, Jeff, yeah, Jeff was a great rider, but, yeah, he, he kind of didn't come into his whole talent level when it came to the nationals and that still happens to this day um but brian for instance i first met him when we were both on team green and uh you know team green back in the day uh, for ponca they used to debut their next year motorcycle and their top riders they would put on on the pre-production bike or whatever it was and uh, we were on 65 and i think it was the first year they're coming out with 65 water cool bikes and um I had done all the testing here at Indian Dunes with Cowie and all that. That was kind of a cool experience as well. And um, then we met up to do a little bit of breaking the bikes somewhere at a local track in, um, in in Oklahoma. And uh, so that was my first meeting of Brian Swank. And then uh, then from there we kind of you know we came up together. And then he would he would show up you know periodically um, to the Gold, Golden State or Transcal. I can't remember one of them. Um, but obviously when he come out this way, you know, I knew the tracks a little bit better and it wasn't super hard, but when we go back East to Ponca and Tennessee, man, I had my hands full with him, you know, he was one guy I, 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 I always, um, knew I had to be on it when we lined up together. 
Absolutely. Like the, the, you guys uh, were basically uh, neck and neck when it came to uh, facing off together, but then on on, e- on either side of the country, or I guess uh, Brian was more central, but you guys were extremely dominant, and uh, basically, uh, like, you guys were the, the, the mini-cycle ch- like champions of the, of that era and to a lot of people uh for for most people's money they would say that uh to this day buddy antonez fastest on a mini cycle uh that anyone's ever seen period uh adam our <laughs> austin forkner uh ricky carmichael james stewart all considered in, in that conversation yeah uh keeping yeah. in mind that uh the the rm85 that is still produced today is not a whole lot different than uh than something that you would have ridden back in in 1988 because uh and, and not to mention that you did a lot of work developing that damn machine. yeah yeah no i did i did that as well you know um, it was one thing that actually helped my career is, is I was testing at such an early age. And like I said, started with Cali 65 testing of the water cooled bikes. And then when I got on eighties and with, with R and D, like Suzuki had me do all the developing for that new um, 80 that came out in 86. And then they, I think they redesigned it in 89 and I did all that as well. Um, so, you know, I was about it from a ground level. So, um, it's pretty amazing that that bike is, is, uh, is, hasn't been changed a whole lot since then. And I think up until a couple of years ago, it's still really competitive. Um, uh, now they're, you know, they need to update one more time. I think to keep up with some of the other brands. Um, but, you know, that was one thing that helped my uh, mini cycle career, if you call it, um, was that, you know, R&D and, and Rudy and Dean and Glenny, they did such a great job with my bikes. You know, we tested, we did... We did so many things that the pros, you know, do at a mini cycle level, you know, so we were always prepared. Yeah. Well, like, uh, how did that really spawn? Because you're, you're a team green kid. You, you raced the, uh, the K, the KX 60 back in the mm-hmm. day and, mm-hmm. uh, and eventually were, were approached to, uh, to, to enter this role that, uh, for, for a lot, like you're really the first full on test rider for, for, for the mini cycles and, uh, basically curved how those machines would be built, uh, for, for a long period of time. How did that, uh, that relationship spawn and, uh, who were some of the people that were involved in, in getting you in at Suzuki? Well, you know, it, 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 back in, in our, our race day, um, you know, we used to be able to, when you moved up to 80 cc's, um, it was open 12 to 16 and then, but they had an intermediate and an expert class. So when I was coming off of 65, you know, um, I think at the time R&D had some older kids and so they wanted to, you know, put a younger kid in to be able to to develop in the program and uh and I was gonna go to you know, I was gonna race the eighty five intermediate, which I did the first year on the on the eighty five um Suzuki. But um you know obviously I was, you know, um getting better results and and, and then, you know, raced around here locally a bunch. And uh I think the weird thing was I remember this my parents tell me this pretty pretty much, but you know, um if it, nobody knows, you know, I'm, I'm half Mexican, so or Spanish, whichever way you want to say it. But um, and Tunez, yeah, yeah. And my <laughs> and my dad is is not white at all. <laughs> He's brown as a bean. So lots of times, everyone always see me with my helmet or my helmet on. So they just see my dad waving me on the side of the uh, um, track. And so I remember when we first met up with R and D, and I pulled my helmet off, and I had blonde hair and 
and green eyes, they were like blown away, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> uh, they only seen the, the Mexican guy on the side, you know, waving me on. So, um, that's like Josh Fariz. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, pretty much. So it kind of, I think, sparked an interest maybe in, in Rudy and Dean. I don't know. Something, I mean, it, I remember my parents telling me that story. And then after um, Ponca that year, I think they approached, uh, obviously, my parents. And um, uh, my deal was I was going to race. They were going to allow me to ride the Suzuki 85 in the intermediate class and still ride my 65 because I was still age eligible to ride 65 my last year. But I was so big on the 65, we were doing the Transcal, I believe, and I said, Dad, I don't, I don't want to ride 65 anymore. So we just, you know, switched gears to the to the 85. But um, at the time, you know, I didn't realize how, you know, I knew what R&D had done with, with guys like, you know, Larry Brooks and, and uh, you know, some of the other guys that, that had ridden for him, uh, Mike Healy, um, who else am I missing? Um Billy Lyles. Billy Lyles, yeah. So they had a, they had a, um, and honestly, you know, everybody remembers, a lot of people around my era remember uh, Rick Hemme and Bruce Bunch. You right. know, they were, they were great riders. And uh, so we knew that was a place I needed to be in. So we were really, you know, honored to be a part of that. And, and I remember I had a kind of a so, so, um, intermediate year, you know, wasn't great, but that bike was at the time before they switched to the next one. Um, was a little bit, you know, a little bit dated maybe. So the next year when we came out with a new bike and I knew I needed to on the expert class and me and my dad really put in the work and, uh, went into the Transcal and I ended up winning that championship through consistency. You know, I was just up front a bunch, you know, and that was kind of the, the start of it. That one Transcal championship hmm. gave me the confidence to know that again. And I was 12 years old racing against Kyle Lewis and, and a lot of these guys that were 16, you know, I think Denny was still trying to, uh, to hump an 85 at that time with his long old legs. And, That's uh, true. and, uh, who else? Jeff Emmett, you know, um, Jimmy Emmett Button. was big on his last year on eighties. That was yeah. like, uh, and he's older. A... Jimmy Button was my age. Um, yeah. but anyhow, uh, you know, it just, just took off from there, which winning that Transcal race got me into the race of champions and, um, at the world mini, and, uh, you know, it just kind of took off from there. And then, you know, obviously when the older kids went out and I was already running up there with them at my younger age, it just, you know, it was a natural course. But, um, you know, but then guys like Joel Albrecht, uh, Jimmy Button, um, Tommy Flowers, Dana Wiggins, you know, those guys could all ride too. So on any given day, you know, I would, you know, most of the time be able to beat them, but um, sometimes they give me fits. No kidding. Well, uh, going back to uh, your, your, when you're stepping off the, uh, the, the 65, was that mm-hmm. about the last time that you felt like you were too big for a motorcycle? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Unfor- unfortunately, no. <laughs> um, when I got off, eight, I got off 85 in, uh, I just turned 16 in April before the World Mini, and I was riding 85s then. And, um, I, you know, I, did you ever go to the, you probably have never been there, but the old World Mini track that used to be out by Henderson. No, sir. Uh, the only uh, California or the only uh, Manto- or con- American motocross tracks I've been to are Millville, uh, Comp Edge, Paula, and uh, and Glen Helen and Milestone. Well, all right. Well, you've been to some good ones, but anyhow, <laughs> the the uh, the track off Henderson was you know really in the middle of the desert, and it yep. it had some sand roller sections, you know. And I remember uh, that last year. 
um, being on my super mini, for instance, and we didn't have big wheels at the time. And, 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 uh, believe it or not, R and D built me one that I, it was too fast. I'd have them detune it, you know? Um, uh, but anyhow, as I got bigger on the 85, I'd be going through the sand roller section. I'd, I'd have so much leverage over the rear and the power of those things. I, I just was like, like almost just like looping out basically, you know? And I just yeah. tell my dad, tell my dad that. And he's like, well, you know, the, and I was like, it's dangerous, you know? And, and so I went in and had a meeting with uh, Tosh, was the main Suzuki guy. I can't remember his last name, some Japanese name, but um, and Dean and everybody. I'm trying to think of it, but I can't. Um, and just told him it was unsafe and and all that. So that was the last time that I was too big on a bike, and I got off. Fair of it. enough. <laughs> got off of that, and then uh, and then and then fit a 125 like a glove, or uh, still needed some starting blocks. Oh, still, well, you can't use starting blocks in the pro class. So, um, uh, okay, fair enough. you have to use dirt mounts, which I, I never, I would tell my mechanics where I wanted my dirt mounts and they made them. Um, I, I never, I never did my own starting gate. I always have my mechanics. I don't know why I, I've seen a lot of guys doing it, but I always felt like he's going to prep it when I leave anyhow. So he might as well do it before too. <laughs> there you go. That, that's, um, that, that's a, that's a good, uh, Good thought process to have. But anyhow, when, you know, when I got off a, an 85, I was about 135 pounds and, uh, you know, stocky. So when I got on the 125, it, it wasn't a huge um, adjustment. You know, I, I got on it and, and felt comfortable um, pretty quick. You know, uh, starting was tough, obviously, because, you know, feet didn't touch the ground on both sides like it did on the 85. But uh, yeah. Back then, we we started one foot too a lot on the on the two strokes, so um, you know it's probably maybe split, but that made it a little bit easier. Hey everybody, this is Jimmy Button, former factory Supercross rider. You're listening to the Big MX Radio Show. We're gonna take it to a commercial. And we'll be right back. Justified Cultures is the kind of apparel from the moment you put it on makes you feel like it was made just for you. Quality, comfortable apparel designed for and inspired by the live-what-you-love lifestyle. Woven throughout the moto, desert, skate, and surf culture of Justified is the desire to celebrate human achievement, to inspire and create a modern lifestyle brand reflecting today's generation. Zach Commons, Maddie Jesse, Phoenix Racing Co., Dominique Daffay, Cody Matichuk, and John Short are just a few athletes who don Justified Cultures clothing. Passion needed a clothing line to speak to the way that it lived each day. So, we created Justified Cultures. Navigate justifiedcultures.com to easily view over 40 individual styles to help you make a statement every time you step outside. As presenting sponsor to Big MX Radio, lock in promo code BIGMX17 when checking out at justifiedcultures.com to receive 30% off your Justified Cultures clothing. Express your lifestyle with Justified Cultures. Live what you love. When it's time to turn heads, Spokeskins has you covered. Whether it's dirt bikes, street bikes, or bicycles, nobody does it better than Spokeskins. Mix and match your spokes, or go with the same color all the way around. Either way, Spokeskins is the way to go to customize the look of your bike. Uniting off-road riders on every end of the budget spectrum, Spokeskins is aimed at giving you the custom look without the custom price tag. If you're looking to set your bike apart from the rest of the herd, Turn some heads and be able to change your bike's look on the fly? Head to spokeskins.net. They don't just have spokeskins on their website. 
They've got more. New products are being added all the time, like the Motul Slacker Digital Sag Scale, and just recently, Galfer Off-Road Series Rear Brake Lines, Oversized Rotor Kit, and Front Brake Lines as well. So do what I did. Head to spokeskins.net today, place your order, and get set up to turn some heads out there. Spokeskins, we've got you covered. 100% equals everything. When you give everything, you do not save anything for later. Do not relax. Do not take a break to catch your breath. Give everything you've got from start to finish. You leave it all on the track. It is very rare that a logo or saying becomes so strong that Hall of Fame athletes choose to run it without any agents or contracts or business disgust. Question is, how much do you give? If you give 100% on the track, shouldn't your goggles? Whether you choose the Racecraft, the Acuri, the Strata, or the Barstow, 100% Goggles has the right goggle to give you 100% every time you ride. With great accessories like the Forecast film system, endless goggle lenses, 100% Goggles simply can't be beat. You can find it all on www.ride. 100percent.com. That's www.ride100percent.com. Go there and join the 100% family. Racersindex.com is your ultimate race production resource. From the starting line of production to the finish line of winning, Racersindex.com is your go-to resource to be a part of or produce a checkered flag winning event. The professional's place to find work and workers, rides and riders, and more. If you need it to make your race event happen, it's happening at Racersindex.com. If you want to be a part of the racing world, join the Racersindex.com team today. If you need people on your team, you can find them at Racersindex.com. Log on now and find what you need, who you need, and anything needed for two-wheel or four-wheel racing. Log on if you're a mechanic, model, rider, flagger, caterer, sound engineer, team owner, production specialist, or anything related to racing. Find all people, places, and things racing all at racersindex.com. From dirt to the track, from desert to the drag strip, racersindex.com is your ultimate race resource. Click it for your ticket to all things racing. Racersindex.com. Deft Family Gloves. Deft means showing cleverness and skill in handling things. What you want to see in football and basketball is some deft handling of the ball. Some people are physically deft, like accomplished athletes. No, exactly. This, for those uh, who are listening, who are uh, like, uh, have only been racing for a short period of time. This is uh, uh, 125 two strokes, and uh, hole shot devices are about 15 years uh, away yeah. at this point. So mm-hmm. uh, you needed a whole lot more uh, body language and uh, skill to, to to master those starts. And uh, yep. for for uh, and, and that also the one foot up uh, technique was was rapid throughout. I think uh, it wasn't until um, McGrath in the in like mid '90s, started doing the like kind of hitting the first like the hitting third gear with the with, heel. Uh, yeah. With the heel. Yeah. It, that that yeah. was the the preferred method. Um, did you play with that at all during your pro career, or did you stick with the one foot up? Stuck with the one foot. Now my starts were always always decent, so I never felt uh, the need to to change. Um, 
you know, so I, I stuck with that. You know, uh, it was tough starting, you know, without a starting device because I did get to, obviously, in my career, when the starting device first came in, I was a part of it. Um, and it... it uh, it's like cheating. <laughs> you know, on Tacky Dirt, it really, really is. But funny story, one t- we were at uh, Redbud uh, in 02, and we had the starting devices, and I went over and looked at the starting gate, and it was a little bit more hard pack and dry. And I remember telling Jessamine and Smith, I go, I'm not using my starting device here. You know, they looked at me like I was crazy. And uh, and I sure as crap, I, I whole shot of the first moto. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And ended up third in that one. That was, a, that was a good moto for me. That was really yeah. cool. That, that, I actually really liked that year when he came back and raced uh, 125 Nationals in uh, 02, I believe, with uh, mm-hmm. Ber- Berlute was uh, spinning the wrenches for you? Tony Berlutti, yeah. Tony Berlutti came on um, when I first turned pro. Um, he had worked with Joel and Jeremy Albrecht um, as a mechanic for them at, in Punk City and stuff like that. So yep. my dad had knew him. And so when I got my factory ride, um, my dad wanted to put some, you know, they, they didn't have a mechanic for me. So my dad really lobbied to put somebody that he knew in with me. And uh, man, that was just the best thing ever. I mean, uh, being on the road, you know, because back in our day too, the parents didn't travel with you. So being on the road at 17 years old, you know, it's great to have someone like Tony who, who really was a, a father figure to me as well. And, and, and helped you uh, get into or stay out of trouble? Um, sometimes he'd help me get into it when we were over in Europe, but um, for the most part, he, he tried to keep me out of it. <laughs> Fair enough. So, how, how much racing uh, did you get to do on a 125 before uh, your first gate drop as a professional? Um, on, it was like basically a, f- a full blown factory effort from Suzuki, if I understand correctly, or am I wrong? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, sir. And uh, I got off the 85 at the World Mini, and then I went, got on the 125, and I went straight to pro. So, that was April, and then. Um, in June, I was doing my first Supercross, or the last Supercross of the year, um, yeah. at the LA Coliseum. And, uh, well, that Just was, outside that was, the top ten. That was awesome. Yeah, I know. I went down um, in the peristyle on the very first lap um, and, and had to come from the back. Um, but I remember getting, you know, doing great in my heat race and practice and all that, but then when the main event comes, getting a bad start, and, and then just the length of it, you know. Um, I remember getting lapped by Kudrowski, I think, in, Larry Ward, maybe it was that. I don't know who it was. I remember Larry Ward for sure, and just going, "Holy crap!" You know what I mean? Um, yeah. Then that had never happened to me. <laughs> you know, so um, you know, it was it was it was cool and also humbling at the same time. Well, you must have felt a lot of pressure at being your, your first professional race. It's a Supercross, which uh, back then there were no, there's no Supercross track at Milestone or uh, like the the Supercross tracks that the factories had were barely even a, a thing just yet. Uh, so it was pretty mm-hmm. new for you, and uh, you're, you're going in there with uh, guys like Jeff Matasevich, who mm-hmm. uh, not to be messed with, Larry Ward, Ward, who's too serious for his own good. Same thing mm-hmm. with uh, Mike Larocco and, uh, and 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 Mike. Craig, like he had some serious heavy hitters in there, and big uh, heavy hitters, yeah. yeah, yeah, big heavy hitters, yeah, and and um, it it was, you know, I was I was in, like I said, I was in awe at the same time as as having a blast, you know, um, it really was fun because I knew at that time there was there wasn't a lot of pressure on you know on it for me, it was just about getting experience 
And, and you know, to be honest, back in the day, it, it was like that a little bit. You know, now these kids are, are having to perform from their first gate drop, um, you know, yeah. uh, which, which you know, is good and bad. But um, at the same time, like me in that, in that world, like, um, I just kind of went into it so fast. I don't even think I had time to get nervous. <laughs> yeah. You're probably just like, you're 17 <laughs> years old. I want to, I want to race supercross because then girls will think I'm cool. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. And I had hair, <laughs> I had hair back then too. So I thought Perfect. It was, cool. <laughs> it was that uh, full blown mullet days and, uh, or, or what? Yeah. The, I think I was just trying to start to grow the mullet out about, and nice. I think it was just taking shape in 89. You know, up here they call that hockey hair, don't you know? The hockey hair, yeah. Yep. I did know that. I did know that. Yeah. There you go. So then from there that year, um, I went and did the Hollister uh, GT, which they had one sort of our support class. And uh, not all the big names were there, but anyhow, the the uh, first moto I crashed in the start and came from like last back to like, I think inside the top 10. And then the second moto, I was uh, leading. And then I ended up going down with like two laps to go or something like that. So then I was like, okay, here we go. You know, and then um, my first real national was going to be Washugo. And I remember training my butt off riding sand tracks, just pounded. And then back in that day, um, they had the 500 CC and 125 class combined for practice. I remember taking off for practice, being all cool. All of a sudden, coming up for a here, they call it now, right? And, yeah. um, Ward and, and Johnson flying by me on 500s, and I had arm pump out there the rest of the day. Oh, <laughs> I was just so shocked. You know I mean? I was finally on the track with those guys. No kidding. Um, yeah, it was, it was, it was crazy. Um, but luckily, I had a good heat race. You know, that wasn't – back then, you had to qualify for the uh, – through racing um, uh, for the main – for the motos. And, uh, you know, I had a good uh, heat race and showed speed. But in the motos, I, I was just, like, pumped up and – couldn't do a whole lot. Um, and before the year was up, I wrote five of them. I think I got a top seven at Bud's Creek. Um, so that looked promising going into the next season. Um, so, you know, that was good too. Uh, I got to do a few races, you know, before the Supercross season. And I, I like that, how they're doing that now with some of the kids coming in at the Nationals instead of coming in directly into Supercross. Because Supercross, it takes experience, you know, more so oh, yeah. than anything. And more more opportunity for some some catastrophic injuries that might set you back uh, not just months but years. Good, yes, it, it it is it is it is more I don't know if it's more dangerous, but yeah, I would say it's a little more dangerous. Um, well, just as far as the the consequences of, of like say mistiming a, a rhythm section, you go over the bars, uh, you you could like there's just there's more hard things to hit rather than uh if you wash out a front end on a on a on a na- at a national or uh there's just maybe there's a little bit less uh more of a uh, some softer dirt there to not uh ruin yourself so much although very, very higher true. speeds and all that higher speeds but you know yeah you know um but usually I don't see guys get off too much on the higher speeds it's usually you know that's another once in a while i don't know it, it's all dangerous you know what i mean like i said it goes back to we do it because we love it, and we're, we're it yeah. gets in our in our blood, and we're dirt bikers, and this is what we do, you know. And do you, you, know, you uh, go ahead. Go, uh, do you know who is uh, one spot in front of you at your first ever national? No, Johnny O'Mara. Do you know who is two stop two spots ahead of you? No, 
Danny Stevenson. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, man. Uh, Johnny O was riding uh, for Suzuki back then too, and yeah, and um, he was he was always really cool to me. Uh, when I first started, it was it was nice to have someone you know someone you looked up to making you feel comfortable in your what you're doing, you know. Absolutely. Um, so rolling in off of the uh, off of Bud's Creek, feeling good, mm-hmm. top, first top ten uh, result as a professional, mm-hmm. and uh, feeling some success because uh, at Bud's Creek you, you landed yourself right between uh, uh, Donnie Schmidt and Travis Parker, who were at the time uh, poised to uh, go win some championships overseas. Um, mm-hmm. What was the landscape like for you during the off season in in '89? Uh, uh, going over, to, did you go over to Europe at all? Was it you and Tony? Working on the bike, what what was happening uh, leading up to Anaheim? Yeah, those those, those last uh, the whole rest of the year back in '89, um, Dean went with me to the, all the races. I still didn't have Tony in the picture yet. Okay, um, so Dean was with me, um, taking me to those. Um, I was still using um, uh, R and D's equipment. I wasn't on full factory stuff just yet. Um, and so when the off season came, I didn't have any European connections. You know, as of as of then. And so, um, basically, um, me and Tony, we started testing all that stuff. We, we tested a whole lot that year, which was, was really, really awesome. Ron Heben had just came over, I believe from Honda to, to manage the team. And, uh, he was big on testing and, and it helped me a bunch, you know, cause that's what I was used to doing. Um, so it, it, it felt at home, you know, and, um, and I remember, um, training really, really hard that off season um, getting ready for Anaheim. And then, uh, I think about a good month, month and a half for Anaheim, I had an accident, got both my ankles. And so that set me on the sidelines a little bit. Um, but I kept working out my upper body and, and doing what I could and got back on the bike. And, and so I was, I was ready for Anaheim when it came around for sure. Absolutely, you were, and uh, uh, gate drop for the, the the late first. It was the the last weekend in January, nineteen ninety, and uh, mm-hmm. Mike Craig it just edged you out. But uh, you're on the podium uh, in your second year in uh, in Supercross. That's pretty cool, and uh, not something everybody can say. You know, yeah, and and I remember um, battling with with Gaddis for the longest time, and Craig was still out front. And I finally cleared Gaddis, and I reeled reeled in uh, Craig, and I was just bummed I didn't get by him earlier, you know. But to say that, you know, a second place in my second Supercross, um, I was I was I was very very happy, um, and it was it was a good night. Who were some of your teammates that year uh, on Suzuki? I know you guys had a fleet of guys. I think that was the biggest team they've ever had. Um, yeah, Thirty six uh, riders, I think. Yeah, Guy Cooper was was the lead guy. And then uh, Larry Ward, Michael Rocco, um, Denny Stevenson, Jimmy Gaddis, and then me. And then they had Jeremy Buell on kind of a, a support level. Um, so we had, we had a had a really big team. But that big that big team actually was was fun. You know what I mean? And it was cool when we were out testing. There was a lot of us riding. We were riding together. Um, almost remembrance of the atmosphere now, you know, a lot of the guys are riding together. And uh, I think Suzuki had a great year that year, you know, uh, Coop won the, the, the national title and I think Larry Ward won a Supercross, and Rocco, I think was on the podium a bit, wasn't he? 
Um, uh, yeah, LaRocco was up there all the time, and uh, and and you Denny, won. And Denny, and Denny won a, a East Coast championship, and I, I got three wins myself in the West Coast, so it was yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you got Pasadena, which mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, first first Supercross race win is in Pasadena, and then uh, San Jose and uh, L.A., where uh, you you made good on that uh, that crash on the Peristyle, came back the very next year and won the damn thing, and uh, yeah. Feeling pretty confident. Who is the who is the best test rider on that Suzuki team? Who is the worst test rider on that Suzuki team? Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, I, I can't. You know, we were so individual then with our box fans. Okay. You know, it's not the same vibe as as with the haulers, where you have everybody kind of huddled around a little bit. You kind of would have to listen to you know, hey, what's going on over here? You know, whatever. Um, the oddest thing that I knew of was, was Larry Ward opting not to run the, the works forks and wanting to run a brand new standard fork at every single race. Um, so, Interesting. um, I don't know if that was lack of testing or just the weird Larry Ward thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> Most likely a little bit of both. Um, <laughs> which and, I love Larry uh, Ward, but that was, it was weird. <laughs> Yeah, and but this is of course the time when uh, some some outdoor nationals are also sprinkled in to uh, some Supercross. Uh, wh- what was that like as far as bike setup, changing things? We know that uh, Supercross suspension isn't wasn't quite what it was or what it is now. But uh, wh- what were you doing to the motorcycle week to week to uh, get yourself ready for Hangtown after uh, one week after winning Pasadena? Pasadena. Well, the the series had started back in. Um... March or February back in Gainesville. Yeah. And so we were back there to test. And so we did all our testing back there. Um, I actually crashed and thought I had broke my wrist and flew home. I missed Gainesville. The swelling went down and everything in my, my hand because I got the top of my hand real bad. And then it, was, it wasn't broke. So um, the doctors in Florida told me it was broke and flew back home. And then my doctor told me it wasn't. It was too, I couldn't have raced, I couldn't even get, I've gotten a glove on the top of the hand, which so, um, almost like bubbled, you know, it was really big. So yeah. anyhow, um, after, uh, LA Coliseum, was it Rose Bowl or LA Coliseum? Then we went to Newtown, LA Coliseum, right? Um, it was, uh, Pasadena and then, uh, and then, uh, Hangtown. Then Hangtown? Pasadena, yeah. okay. Um, yeah. so back then you kind of, you know, wrote a mixture of, of both at, at that time. You know, you, you started to transition a little bit more um, because they didn't keep up the Supercross tracks as much as they do now, so that thing's blown out. So, you know, you go and ride, you know, your normal tracks. So um, going up to Hangtown, not have ridden um, the first one, I wasn't in the top ten, so I had to qualify. So I was I was going up to Hangtown just stressed about qualifying, to be honest with you. Um yeah. And that went super easy, you know, and then, um, you know, hang count for me, uh, I can't remember my moto scores. Um, you may have them there, but, um, I think, I think I was inside fifth the top overall. 10. Fifth overall. Yeah. Wow. Fifth Better overall, than... just outside, uh, Jean-Michel Bale and, uh, Guy Coop and, uh, uh, a guy like a guy by the name of Steve Lampson, who was uh, making mm-hmm. some serious noise at the same time. Yep. And, uh, that was the cool thing, getting to race Jean-Michel Bale that year. I remember that. And me and Denny always watched him in Supercross and, and uh, watched what he was doing and stuff like that. And, and, and then the, towards the end of Supercross and well, Denny and all that, that's when whoops gaming came into play. 
um, was that 90 season a little bit um, with the bigger whoops. I think they were doing some of yeah. it the years past, but they were a bit smaller, but they were starting to build bigger. And, and then, you know, John Michelle Bell, Denny, Fitzhattavish, they were still getting across them, you know. Um, so that was cool. So then getting that top five in Hangtown, like I said, and, and racing with, with Jean-Michel Bale and, and, uh, and all those guys, that was a really cool thing. And, um, I just, at the same time, I was, like I said, I trained so hard for that season and I was so prepared. It was like, you know, everything was, was coming in a way like it did in my amateur career. You know, it was, it was just going the way it was supposed to go. So, um, feeling comfortable both indoors and out on your Suzuki's, um, at this point during like of, of the year, are, are you like really kind of feel like, all right, I'm a pro now I, I'm moving forward and, uh, can look to start uh, taking some swings at, uh, some top fives and even some podium finishes, both indoor, indoors and out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At that time, you know, you, you, you get to a point where you're going, okay, you, you got this thing where you want it. You know, and, and and in my case, for instance, you know, I got too laxed with it, you know, and uh, and so you know, I like I said, I trained hard that off season that pretty much carried it through um, that season and, and with good results, and 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 then even a couple motos, I remember um, getting some fours from kidding, keeping Kondrowski back there and and uh, having some some really good rides as far as a, a rookie and. Um, you know, so, and then Coop went in the championship, which, you know, um, you know, was, was awesome too. Cause you know, with having that many guys, we were pretty tight knit, I, I believe. And, and we all felt really, really happy for, for guy. And, um, uh, so for me coming into the next season, for instance, you know, they changed team managers. Um, we didn't test quite as much as we did this, this season before. So, you know, that testing helped, helps get you prepared as well. Um, so, you know, thinking I had her, had her licked, I, I didn't train quite as hard as I did, probably not even half as hard as I did the season before, to be honest with you. And, uh, go to the first race in, in 91, I get the whole shot. If I'd have got the whole shot the, the, the year before, I'd have been gone. And, yeah. uh, I remember, I remember pumping up and just going, oh my God. And then I slid back, I think like 12th in that race. It was, it was, uh, it was bad. Yeah. So, got beat by Grayson Goodman that night. Yeah. I knew it was bad. I knew it was bad. And, and I remember everyone giving me crap on the plane on the way home. And, you know, so then I get back home. And I'm like, okay. You know, and then, you know, it was enough to click the wheels and, and get going. And then um, at Anaheim the next weekend, I think I was leading my heat race and I went over the bars and, and separated my shoulder. So that pretty like much. full did. dislocation or just, or just separated? Uh, what was it? Grade two or three. Yeah. It wasn't all the way out, but enough where okay, yeah. it required, I couldn't ride. I tried to ride the main just to make some points. I had, uh, taped up and all that, but I, I couldn't. Um, mm. and then I went and tried to ride San Diego the next weekend. I couldn't. Um, and then I, I let it heal. And I remember, I think the next race I came back to was, um, uh, Gainesville and, uh, I started working, you know, and then, I think the first motor I got arm pump, like, and that was happening again. And the second motor I ended up fifth. So, you know, I kind of got the ball back going. But um, at the same time, you know, you know, that was in the era when they were starting to have kids underneath you that are ready to take your spots, you know. No kidding. Um, from the amateur year. So, you know, young Ezra Lusk was ready to go. And, uh, you know, my results weren't as good as uh, the first year. 
um, obviously. And so Ezra's sitting there chomping at the bit, you know, and I think Brian at the time was just going to get going that next year. So, um, cause I think he had a femur injury to keep him out of the 90 season. And, uh, so then, you know, Brian, you know, they picked up Brian and Ezra, um, but which led me over to pro circuit, um, riding with Jeremy McGrath and, uh, that, you know, you can't, you can't beat, you know, still okay. this, still to this day, or actually I took a lot of things from Jeremy. You know, I used to always go to, to the truck, to his truck before the main event and go, Hey, what do you think this or that? You know, cause we were friends and, and he just had a such an, and you know, it's, it's no reason why he did as well as he did. He just had such an outlook on how things were going to shape up and what, you know, preparation mentally and, and, and things like that. And, you know, through my career, when I started winning, um, arena cross championships, I, I tried to always, you know, foresee things coming and, and plan a little bit more for the race, you know? Um, yeah, so that like, was, that was two cool. Of you guys battled hard that year. Uh, I've watched just about every round from that series and there's not a single race where you guys aren't at least, uh, within swinging distance of each other. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I know. And, and, uh, and Jeremy would always get out on me. And I remember after the race, I, I'd be like, ah, oh, this and that. He goes, ah, I was just keeping you there. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, whatever. <laughs> and so we had a break. And I remember going out. To, uh, my buddy Eric Hilton lived in Simi Valley. And Honda Land was in Simi Valley. I actually lived in Newberry Park one city over. And the Honda track was in uh, Simi Valley. And I remember um, it was a break. And the next race was Vegas. And I remember just pounding, just getting after it. And uh, we get to Vegas. And I'm ahead of Jeremy. He gets around me, and I'm just sitting on him, right? And, uh, you know, he wasn't going anywhere, and I pushed the front in, the, in one turn, and uh, he ends up winning, and I end up crashing like three more times, something stupid, you know, just panic. And Jeremy comes to me after, and he's like, I think you had me that race. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man, why you got to say that? Don't tell me that. Don't tell me that right now. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think that's some of, you know, um, Jeremy's reason he was such a good champion. He's always humble. You know what I mean? And, and something you have to always be is humble. What was uh, team manager uh, Mitch Pe- Mitch Payton like? Uh, well, first of all, what, the, what were those bikes like? But also, how was uh, Mitch Payton as a team manager in the infancy of what's now the uh, the Pro Circuit Kawasaki team? Uh, he was a teddy bear. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. The bikes were amazing. I remember when he first gave me a bike and I went out to the Glen Helen to ride it. And... Um, I, I was just blown away. I, I couldn't believe that that's what I was racing against all year. You know what I mean? Um, you know, we had some, we had a lot of jetting issues with the bike, with our Suzuki that year. And, uh, you know, and then those bikes, once I got on them, they were that fast. I was going, holy crap. Um, and, uh, you know, working with Mitch was, um, you didn't mess around. You know what I mean? Because Mitch kept his eye on you at all times. You know, um, but at the same time, you know, uh, also one thing you never do is, is BS Mitch, you know, he, he, he'd eat right through it. And so, you know, for me, it was, it was a really good, uh, thing to have at the time because, you know, like I said, I had been traveling since 17 on my own, no parents around all that. And, and obviously, you know, I'd lost my ride. And so then Mitch coming into my life at that time and pretty much, you know, grounded me from day one and, uh, putting me right in my place, you know, was a lot of the reason why I did as well as I did that season. 
Well, that's interesting to see. Like they kind of molded by, by both uh, two characters or two individuals in the sport that have still stayed extremely uh, relevant. Jeremy McGrath, who's uh, in, in a lot of ways uh, not only the king of Supercross, but he's the people's champ. There's not a single uh, too many people out there that have anything bad to say about uh, about him and his legacy. But also a guy like. Um, Mitch, who who's basically uh, he's brought us uh, racing machines and athletes over the years that uh, have 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 amazed us all and uh, made a lot of uh, fans super fans, and then uh, from there staying addicted to this uh, sport we're so passionate about. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's one thing, Mitch. Too, to, to, he tested a lot, you know. Also, so uh, whenever it tests a lot, which I, which I like, yeah, and then I was good at. So whenever we test a lot, I was had a better chance of, of making my bike the best it could. Um, and so, you know, uh, with Mitch, you know, it's just, you know, he was, uh, he was your biggest supporter when you knew you're and you've probably heard people say that's your biggest supporter when you're given a hundred percent, but if you give anything within less than a hundred percent, he was going to get after it, you know? And, uh, you know, it's not a bad thing. You know, it truly isn't. When, uh, give me an example of a time that Mitch Payton caught you not giving a hundred percent. I'll give you a time. Um, we were testing a bunch before Troy, Ohio, um, you know, because that year those Hondas, they didn't handle the greatest outdoors, and they're great in Supercross, but not the greatest outdoors. So we were testing a bunch, trying to get them better and get them better. We go to Troy, Ohio, and it was a, and it was a mud race. And I think um, I got stuck in a mud hole. Something happened to Jeremy. Something happened to Bueller. And uh, – I remember Mitch just coming unglued after the race, you know, because they had put a, I mean, which they had put a lot of time into, to, uh, you know, Bones Bacon and, and Mitch had put a lot of time into, to, uh, to try to make things better, you know, and, you know, to have that happen, you know, because I think after I came out of the mud hole, I was just like over it, you know, because I knew I was down whatever laps, you know, and uh, that's one of those times where no matter what happens, you go to the checkered flag. You know, you never yeah. know what's going to happen to somebody else, you know. Um, and and had I did that and came back afterwards um, and said my story but went hard to the checker flag, it probably would have been a, di- a different deal, you know. Um, another another one, for instance, that, this one's pretty funny, uh, up at, uh, at, at Gainesville the first year, the second motor, I think I got out front. I might have a whole shot in Lair Ward behind me. Um, and the first motor, I had broken my toe. And so the second mode, I get out to a good start for a second, and, and I, it was on my shifter foot, too. So I'm, like, trying to ride the moto. I slide back. You know, I did everything I could, and Mitch was just like, his toe ain't broken. I take my foot out of my boot, and Buddy Morgan was my mechanic at the time. He brings Mitch over, and it's things black, blue, and purple, and swollen. He, and he just kind of gave me a look and rolled off. <laughs> you know, a look that was like, hey, okay, I get it. You know, but, you know, still um, – you know, uh, just wanted to make sure I was giving everything I had. Okay, well, always, always keeping you uh, on your toes uh, as you would, but um, pr- probably uh, molded you just into a racer that, uh, oh, from then on, really expected more out of yourself. And uh, rolling into the uh, the '93 season. Um, what was the landscape like for you then? Because uh, I, don't, I don't recall you being on. Uh, you weren't riding for Mitch in '93, were you? No, and, and one of the big mistakes in my career was, um, you know, going into San Jose, the race that I almost won that Jeremy freaking uh, came from the back and, and got me, but then we battled towards the end. I was two points away from pointing out of the 125 class, 
and uh, Mitch and uh, Mike Hooker came to me the night before and said, hey, you want to sit out, keep the points for next year? I had been talking to Honda, and, you know, I'm assuming that I had done well enough to get a 250 ride. Then I said, uh, nah, you know, I want to own a race, you know. So, um, you know, had I won that race, that maybe could have changed some things. Um, But then, uh, you know, with with Lamson going and winning at Hangtown and and doing the things that he did that summer, you know they went you know they went with Lamson, and um, you know which left me in in privateer row, you know. Um, but you know to this day, um, those years of being a privateer, um, I think rounded me in a way that made me um, get to a point when I did win a championship in arena cross, I knew what to do and how to stay focused and, and, and the things that I didn't want to, you know, that I didn't want to do anymore. I wanted to make sure I stayed away from, you know, um, because, you know, uh, the privateer life is rough, you know what I mean? Um, oh, but totally. al- along that way, you know, uh, I was privateer with guys like Timmy Ferry, which we're still great friends today. We wrote a bunch of tour together. I ended up meeting uh, one of my best friends in the state, Nathan Ramsey. And, uh, you know, and so the, the privateer community, I, I'm sure they're still like that, is, is they look out for each other, you know, and we'll help each other out and, and uh, find places to ride if you need on the road and, and do all those things. So, um, you know, it was, it, was, uh, it was an experience like no other, you know. So what were some of the things that you had to do as a, as a privateer that uh, a, you had no idea how to do or something you yeah. really did not enjoy uh, when you were thrust into that position? Cause like you said, uh, uh, never having, or maybe not very seldom have packed a gate or uh, done, done any bike work on, on your own bikes. Uh, it was a, a big change for you. Big change. You know what, but what was cool is, um, you know, you'd go to, um, certain races or, you know, I'd be able to find someone to work for me. I think my dad did a couple of races with me. I actually, um, at the beginning of 93, I hired Jeremy Albrecht, um, to wrench for me. And then, uh, through that, he ended up going to NCY and then, you know, moving to where he is now through the years. Um, uh, but Jeremy had, had, uh, put in his time with a guy named Randy Beninga, uh, Berninga, is it Berninga? I don't know. I think that's what it is. Uh, learning from him. Yeah. He was Bob Hannon's mechanic back in in the day for a little bit. Um, maybe he might be able to reference him that way. Um, anyhow, so, you know, Jeremy got with me and then when Jeremy moved on his way, you know, I had done enough races kind of around and, and the weird thing is, um, met people and, and the, the, these, um, guys, mechanics would come and, and, and work for me for the day, you know, and, uh, you know, wash the bike, get things ready, come to line with me. And I never had to go alone. <laughs> so that was a good thing. Um, but it was kind of a, kind of cool. Um, one of the guys is Dave Marini from up in, in Northern California. Um, okay. he was always around on the, on the East coast and, and, uh, you know, met a lot of great people, you know, um, with, with doing that, that side of the sport. So who are who are some of the, uh, the the people that you would have come across as a privateer that really uh, bolstered um, some of those great relationships and then eventually allowed you to uh, go overseas and uh, and and make some money when uh, American racing was uh, put on hold? 
Yeah, well, in 92, um, at the end of 92, uh, you know, I'd done well enough that they wanted me overseas. And when I got overseas, um, I actually uh, picked up a, a, an agent over there, a manager agent, whatever. And she was over from uh, over from that side, and she would set everything up for me. So um, back then, you know, the the, the off-season racing for a privateer paid for a lot of your season, you know, and put a little money in the bank. Um, so it was a big part of our big part of our season as well. Um, so uh, you know, Dave Marini was was a was a huge help to me. Um, Back then, uh, Timmy Ferry, uh, Ronnie Tishner, I could stay back at his place in in Florida. Um, Jeff Glass, I even traveled with him. He was a big help. Um, you know, there's 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 so many people, like I said, that that came out and and supported. And you know, there's still, um, you know, even when I went back or went to Arena Cross and had or had a mechanic, they're still out there doing it for people. You know, and, and that's that's the great thing about our community is that, um, you know, it, it, the love of it makes people just want to do things to help everybody out. It's, uh, the most ragtag motocross bike that you ever raced as a, uh, a privateer, the most, uh, thrown together, unworthy, uh, steed that you ever did ride. <laughs> My 94 Kawasaki, um, <laughs> I uh, had one, I bought one, and then uh, when I got back to Florida, um, I got one from a shop back there to practice on, but I had one race bike, and I remember before we were going down to uh, um, Dallas Supercross, where we were stopped at Omaha, because Denny, Denny lived there, and uh, they pulled my bike, but uh, Chris Hunter was another one that helped me a bunch, um, they call him Cog. Uh, he pulled my bike apart, one of them, they found like freaking 12 cracks in the frame, and I thought, you know... Oh, it's done, and they got it all fixed up for me, and we went to the next race. And, and I remember at that point, I remember, you know, back then it was about making the main to make money, and I remember sometimes just, you know, wanting to make sure the bike stayed on point so if the tracks are too rutted or beat up. Back then I was like, ah, I qualified, brought a few laps to the main, and that's about it, you know. Um, yeah. But that all came to a halt. We were uh, in Europe, or I think we were in Switzerland, and uh, we were over there, and, and I did the same crap in a main event, and Jeremy Albrecht was back over there. I don't know who he was with at the time, but he came over and just got into my ass, and he's like, you don't ever quit, this and that. And, and since he did that, I, I've never pulled off from another race in, in my whole career. Well, there you go. It's uh, yeah. uh, some some tough love throughout the, your, your career, which um, – uh, I hate to say that it's maybe not something that would be overly welcome to, uh, to today's racers. Do you find that, uh, um, like, uh, maybe r- racers from, uh, from your era, maybe cut from a different cloth or, uh, a little bit more percent or they were, they were reacted better to, uh, so, some, some tough love or some, some react, like, uh, basically a, an ass chewing like that for lack of a better word. I think definitely, for sure, you know, um, obviously our egos got high too, probably, but, you know, um, that's the whole thing is keeping your ego in check, you know, as I'm finding from, from doing what I do now. And, yeah. and the more humble you can stay and keep that ego in check, the, the more willing you're going to be to work on things and, and make things better and keep, keep plugging along, you know, and, um, I think, I think definitely, you know, I, I when I, when I go around to some of the some of the places I've been, you know, 
Um, sometimes they're afraid to tell the writers anything, you know, and, you know, that's not how it should be. You know, it, you know, you, you don't have to be, you know, um, hard, too hardcore about it, but there's always a way to get your point across without um, making an argument or, or too big a stink too, you know, I believe. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think uh, um, the the moment that you shy away from uh, from the truth, as far as when you're you're consulting a, a, any athlete whatsoever, you're 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 hurting them more than you're you're helping them by doing so. And uh, uh, there's a lot of guys that could achieve a whole lot more if they were uh, maybe uh, taken aside and, and taking a, a long hard look at, at what they got uh, their program going on. I think if they um, if they knew the benefits of of of, of approaching it that way then they would uh, they'd be a little bit more welcoming to some uh, some harsher words well you're going to stop yourself from growing at that point because you're going to yeah. once again like you go back to me at the end of 90 you think you got it handled right you think you're where you need to be um but you're not you know you're not where you need to be until you're winning a lot of races and winning championships and until then everyone needs to be striving to make themselves better stronger faster and uh you know you know, it's not always about collecting that paycheck. Sometimes it's about earning that paycheck. Now, before uh, you rolled into the friendly confines of the Great Western Bank team in 1996, there mm-hmm. was 1995 where you found yourself back on Hondas, still as a privateer, and mm-hmm. uh, and racing 250 Supercross and, and 125 Outdoors. Um uh, paint the scene for us uh, 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 in that particular season. Uh, Hondas were great motorcycles, but again, you're, you're you're a privateer. What kind of support were you getting from either it was a shop or different uh, different gear and stuff like that? And uh, it, it, as far as what you remember from that particular season, yeah, at that point um, in my career, uh, you know, I'd done the privateer, uh, still privateer, but we finally got some a little bit of backing um, from a local branch, a Great Western branch. And uh, allowed me to get a box fan, allowed me to uh, hire a mechanic, um, get a couple more bikes. And so, you know, that was the difference, finally having um, some of the tools I needed to do my job better. And so with that, I made the most of it, you know, and and uh, and, and just started, started back working. Um, one other... Um, thing that that happened that year was was the birth of my daughter too so um at that point you know you're you're starting to ride you know for a lot a lot of different reasons too you know you're growing up and um you know putting food on the table and paying the house payment become more of a priority <laughs> Yeah, and at that point, the the hockey hair was long since forgotten. So uh, yeah, it was it, already it, it was already going out. It was uh, I think <laughs> that was the first year that I finally go. I got sh- I got to buzz this stuff so it doesn't look like I'm trying too hard. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh, yeah. So yeah, I had a great great year that year, and uh, Chris Hunter was my mechanic that year, and um, uh, Bridgestone was helping me out a, a bunch that season also, and and I believe I was wearing Thor gear. Um, which they had always, you know, been a good, a good, uh, back for me, even when I, when I, when I was privateer too. Um, yeah. and you know, uh, had a good, good season that year. One that I was, it was like, okay, things are fine. It's going, going back the direction I needed to. And then when, uh, D- Jim, Jim and Dave Castillo contacted me about putting something together for the 96 season with, um, Phil and, and Denny. You know, then at that time, you, you 
you kind of got a team back around you and you feel that synergy and we're riding together. We're doing a lot of stuff together. Um, and that just helped, you know, elevate everything, you know, and, um, like I said, you know, the birth of my daughter going into the, the 96 season, you know, I just started training like a madman again. You know, I, I had everything under control where I could, I didn't have to be on the road as much. Um, you know, I can, I can do more of the training, and I remember having some good rides in the 250 Supercross, too. And, and, and I remember towards the end of Supercross, I told uh, Ross Mayotta, uh, uh, Enzo was a big supporter that year also. And um, I told Ross Mayotta, I go, hey, if I get a – I hadn't gotten a top 10 that year. I go, if I get a top 10, hey, can I get some uh, some good suspension for outdoors? And he's like, yeah, I'll do that for you. And then I ended up going like 10-9 in the last – last few yeah, races. Yeah, St. Louis and Denver, you just cleaned mm-hmm. up and it was, uh, you went 10-9. And mm-hmm. uh, that year, literally, it went, it, you just got better throughout the year. You, it was uh, 18th place at the, at the, at the opener, then 15th, mm-hmm. 13th, 14th, like mixing it up just outside the top 10, and then uh, put it all together for the last couple and rolling right into 125 outdoors on, uh, on, on some good, I'd imagine that you had some, some good, good equipment throughout the nationals uh, yeah. from, from a, yeah. from your, uh, your good friend in the wheelchair there yeah absolutely you know um something yeah well going back just a little bit we didn't get our bikes because we were scrambling with everybody putting that team together we literally okay. didn't get our bikes till like a couple weeks before the or me and denny didn't until a couple weeks before the the race so um i was kind of you know was physically working out and, and and training like that but i hadn't had any seat time so that's why the results got better i more i rode the better i got so like i said um going into the the outdoors um which Pro Circuit was doing our stuff that year too. Um, going in the outdoors, I got good suspension, and then I started, you know, kept that role from Supercross, getting good results, getting good results. And then Mikel Pashon got hurt, I think, at Troy, Ohio, or just before. And then uh, Mitch, you know, with our relationship, with, you know, left good, and, and we were still on really good terms. And he's always, he, you know, they were. They, Mitch was a big helper to me also when I was privateer, let me say that as well. Um, yeah. Uh, and so Mitch goes, Hey, I'm going to give you an engine. Your mechanic can put it in, take it out at the end of the day. Um, and I'll rebuild it and give it back to you the next weekend. And, oh my God, that was like, that was like Christmas came early, you know? Um, no kidding. Yeah. Well, you were and the so, highest placing Kawasaki throughout that national series. Like, uh, I think only two events were you not the, the highest placing Kawasaki motorcycle, uh, in the 125 class. That's pretty cool. No, it was awesome. And, and I finally, you know, I finally had that feeling back to, to, you know, my first and first and third season, you know, where, where I was, um, doing everything right, riding good and just actually just getting better as well. And, uh, uh, getting a third at Bud's Creek in a moto. Um, and I ended up third overall too, I believe, um, was huge. I mean, that was like, oh man, that was a great day. And it was father's day. I remember all my dad and, and, uh, you know, it's a good, good Father's Day present for him. And, okay. uh, yeah, it was great. And then, so, um, finished off that season and, you know, I'm like going, all right, I should get something for next year, you know? And I was, I was, uh, I remember after the, after the final race at Steel City, we all went out to a bar in Pennsylvania and, uh, Ron Turner was out there and I was, I was in his ear already trying to pump myself up for next year. And, uh, you know, obviously that didn't happen, but, uh, yeah. I can't say I didn't try. I didn't try to let him know I was a top finishing Kawasaki all year. 
Totally, for sure. Um, and, uh, it, it, you're definitely in the running with a guy like uh, with Ryan Hughes or or any like I believe it was it was Ryan and Huffman and Emig were the Emig, was the Kawasaki yeah. team in in '97, and yeah. uh, it very easily could have had had your name uh, re- replacing one of those. Like uh, well, what you guys are all it. around the same speed. Sorry, would have loved it. Uh, yeah, I would have yeah. loved it. Yeah, Ryan Ryan Hughes was fast for me in, in Supercross, but. You know that year, but you know equipment-wise, you know wasn't close. You know, um, so you know with well, the, what was that '97 Honda like? Because uh, we, you know, your your good friend uh, uh, MC left uh, left Honda because of that machine. So and you, you ended up racing it in, a, in stock trim. I might add. <laughs> I, I did, you know, and um, in arena cross, it actually wasn't bad. You know, in supercross arena cross, it wasn't too bad. Where um, as long as the track didn't get too, too beat up, you know. Um, but as soon as it started to get too many bumps and, and then once you brought it outdoors, those things were just, they were just mad, violent, twitchy, um, give you arm pump and two laps, you know, it, it, it wasn't the best, you know. Um, I had this I had a funny story and, and I'm not ashamed to say it. I think at a, you know, deal, I got outside of the top, I got it, got out of the moto inside the top five and, and I think I went back to outside the top 20 and I didn't even crash. I just had such bad arm pump from the thing. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, and the next week at Troy, Ohio, it was a little more super crossy, as you know, I went nine, nine, you know, and so, and, and it was the hottest race of the year, you know? And so that's just a little reference to how that, that bike was. <laughs> yeah. It's just, uh, yeah, in top 10 overall at a two fifty national at a track where, uh, there's, there's, there's more jumps that resembled supercross track, uh, a track than, than anything else at, at Troy, Ohio. But, uh, and a, a track, honestly, uh, for a guy who, um, honestly, like some of the tracks that I noticed that you, you did the best at or one of the ones that you kind of just, you, you just hold it wide open, but very technical and, yes. and always did well at, uh, always did well at, um, at Troy. Yeah, I did better on the technical tracks for sure. I, I was always better when the track was rougher or more technical. Um, and uh, so, yeah, like like Troy, uh, I loved, and, and I sometimes wish I would have done better there. Um, Bud's Creek obviously was one of my favorites. Um, good results there. And, and actually that year in 97, the first race at Glen Helen, um, I got a sixth in the moto in the 250 class. And and, uh, you know, I know that track was rough, but I, I must have just known it so well, you know, that it, 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 the bike was, I was able to, you know, work around the bike a little bit, you know. Yeah. Um, and, but I do remember that year, too, um, it, they, they had it pretty deep and it rutted up quite a bit. And I was always better when it rutted. Um, and, and a lot of that experience came from riding um, arena cross because some of the tracks we got in arena cross, um, where the dirt was frozen when they bring it in and it would thaw and then it would just get so soft, you know? Um, and so that helped a lot of those skills as well. Um, and the cool thing about that Glen Helen race, uh, back then they didn't have it all bannered off the way they do now. I had this picture in the garage of me coming out of a turn, um, at Glen Helen. And then in the background, you could see my mom holding my daughter with her hand in the air. It's a pretty cool. Photo. That's cool. That yeah, is a, that is really a super cool. cool photo. Yeah. Um I, I that that's that, that's like um I had to I had to take a picture of it and throw it up on one of the throwbacks. I always forget to do the throwback Thursday thing. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> once we figure out how the social media thing works. But um like at what, what I forgive me for not knowing, but uh, what year did mm-hmm. you like full like go bo- both feet in on uh on Arena Cross and um 
who who is the uh, the the one to knock off the top uh, top step of the podium when, when you entered that? Because uh, uh, there there was arena cross before there was Buddy Antonez. That, that there was that's not a chicken and there the egg was, thing. Yeah, and I remember always watching it on Moto Moto World back then, keeping up on it when um, Gaddis and Buell and those guys were in it. And then coming off the '96 season, you know, I thought I'd done a good enough job to secure a ride. And uh, the really only person that came calling was uh, the Nolene uh, Yamaha team, Sizzler. And uh, and so at that time, um, which a lot of people have probably heard this before, but, um, you know, it was about making money at that time, too, like I said, to provide. And, and Denny Stevenson gave me a call, and, and um, Arena Crofts is coming out with that points fund, the PJ1 points fund. And he's like, you know, hey, you need to uh, start doing this for, you know, a lot of other reasons. And and, uh, you know, make as much money as you can while you can. So, you know, it's a great decision. And uh, went over to Arena Cross and, and not knowing what to expect, really, um, and pretty much adapted to it pretty quick. And uh, Jimmy Gaddis was, had the normal on plate at that time, which, which me and Jimmy had, you know, battled on many cycles, battled and you know, Team Suzuki and, and pretty much, you know, um, you know, not not as uh, right around the probably right around that swing level, you know. <laughs> yeah, enough. Well, like uh, like you'd mentioned, like technical tracks really fell into uh, into your your hands really well. But uh, another thing about uh, arena cross racing is that it's it's aggressive, and there are some mm-hmm. uh, some definitely definitely some uh, some fist fights that go on literally on the track. Sometimes we saw that, uh, but um, so, some aggressive riding like. Was that something that you kind of played into your hands as something you, you were comfortable with, or was that an acquired taste for you? Well, to be honest with you, you know, me and Joel and Jeremy Albrecht, you know, we always rode together, Billy Phelps and, and a lot of the guys from the Rich Canyon area, and we always farted around doing that stuff, you know, um, messing with each other and doing all that. And then you take into account all the last chance qualifiers I rode as a privateer, and you know, anybody that watches those things, those things, yes. are, those things are drag out sometimes, so you know, going over to arena cross, I was already pretty, a pretty physical rider, you know? So, um, it didn't take much to get this, uh, little Mexican fired up. <laughs> no kidding. And, and that you did. And, uh, but well, um, Denny would go on to be the, the dash for cash specialist, but you'd take home, uh, two, two main event wins almost every single evening. And, uh, in doing so, uh, it wasn't always a perfect start. Although you did get a lot of hole shots. It involved, uh, uh, some, some, some aggressive passes right in front of the chat of the catapult. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Like to, uh, to come across that turn and meet him at the end, or I like to go. pass pass going around the uh, the first turn. I used to come out wide and then pretty much go as tight to the berm as possible and go meet him at the end before the whoop. So I def- definitely figured some things out, um, but a lot of it too was also with so many main events. You know, uh, knowing when you know wasn't your night and try to take a fifth instead of crashing and taking a you know fifteenth. Um, yeah. You know, so that was a big part of, of, of learning to win those championships as well. Um, and the great thing with that, too, is when I went over to Arena Cross, I just kept training like I was riding Supercross, you know. Um, so, you know, I could always wear those guys out. So that, that helped a bunch as well. It, it really, but, honestly, when I you have and watch it, it looks like uh, a man riding with the boys, so to speak, uh, especially uh, guys that may not be taking uh, – training as seriously a la uh, Danny Stevenson. 
Yeah, Denny Seaton. If he would have trained, gosh dang it, man, he he uh, he would have been tough because the one year he came and rode on my team with me. Obviously, we tested, we did all the things like you see. He took it serious, and gosh dang it, I, I had fits them until the last two races. I think you know our last one one race to go. I don't know something, but um, you know we we had some great battles that year. Oh my gosh, they they were they were. I remember this one at uh, in Idaho. And we just went out on the 125 till the freaking checkered flag. And, uh, you know, we, he pushed me, you know, and the, the, the dash for cash thing, like, um, there's a lot of money always on the line and, and Denny fed off that. And, uh, for me, I, I was in it like he was in the beginning of dash for cash. But, um, in my first championship, I was going after a dash for cash and decided it's a big whoops were really big. And I go, I'm going to send it to try to pass probably Mike Jones or Denny, one of them. And I went over the bars and dislocated my wrist. So the last like four races I had to, you know, um, ride, ride him with a dislocated wrist going into the last thing race. Um, I jammed it so bad in the heat race. I'm going, I can't do it, you know? And they all, it calmed down. They all talked me into it and I ended up, you know, putting it together, but you know, it was a painful end. So from there I realized, you know, if you get outside, you get out in the top two in the dash, go for it. If not, you know, don't take any big risks. The the big money's over in the winning the championship. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Like keep keep it focused on that big championship, and uh, and that you did. Um, forget from forgive me for not knowing how many how many arena cross championships do you have uh, to your credit, my friend? I won five in a row, ninety seven to two thousand one, and uh, I have one hundred and eleven wins. 111 wins, the triple mm-hmm. one. That's I. I remember watching the hundredth win uh, in my basement in here in Winnipeg to watch that on. Uh, it was probably a couple weeks delayed, but either way, uh, that was a really special time. We rolling across the finish line, hands in the air. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, man, it, it was all cool. I, it, it was a lot of fun. You know, um, that was a cool thing too about riding at Rain Cross. It, it really brought you back to that fun part of racing. You know, because um, you know, you weren't always going to run away with them, you know, and, and so, um, you know, you're always up for that battle and, and that's really what is, gets your adrenaline going is those awesome battles. And then being able to go out with your buddies afterwards and have a couple photo pops and talk about it, you know, it's, it, it made it, it made it a lot of fun, you know, it, it really, really did. For sure, and at this point in your in your career uh, as a as a father and a husband, also allowed you to uh, make some decent money uh, in the in the the winters and and uh, doing the arena crosses, but also uh, left the summers open a little bit to uh, to to enjoy life and uh, and and build a relationship with uh, with your little ones. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there for a while I was doing arena cross, going right over supercross, then riding outdoors, and that was just a lot of racing because I would start in you know, November and not finished till September, you know, and, and so it was a lot. And then I finally, you know, I had gotten to a place where um, Suzuki allowed me to just race arena cross only. And uh, I remember those, those, I think I did two summers of it. And, oh my gosh, it was, it was great. You know, uh, we were doing all kinds of stuff we didn't normally do and uh, had a lot of time at home. Um, but whenever then, you know, I got in a really good rhythm or two of when September, August would come around and start, start training again, getting ready. And so, you know, it was, it was a good little routine I had, you know, and so I decided to upset all that. And, and, uh, you know, in, in 02, um, Cole Gress was, um, came out and watched a bunch of races in arena cross and, 
and he's like, you know, he thought I had my 125 eligibility points because there for a couple of years, um, uh, the recross series went away from AMA. So once it went away from AMA for two years, I got my eligibility back for 125. So, you know, Cole's like, I think you can do good in that class. And I'm like, well, let me think about it, you know, because I knew it would be a lot of work. And, uh, you know, at that point, you know, winning five championships and doing what I was doing, I wanted to see, I wanted to test myself. I wanted to see what I could do. And uh, so I went for it. And um, it was a, that was a great year. I loved every bit of it. And uh, I remember I started training for that year in July with, with John Tomac. And uh, my first race wasn't until February. <laughs> <laughs> February you know, 9th, so, but uh, yeah. a pretty good showing, all things considered. Uh, yeah. Rolling in there and um, and, and doing really well. Like thir- third place at your first, uh, first Supercross in quite some time. Yeah, no, it was great. And I think I was in the press conference afterwards going, you know, my last podium was 10 years before that, you know, it'd been 10 years in between podiums and, uh, it, it was cool. And then getting to race Chad and, and Bubba and, uh, some of those greats, you know, you, those are just things you don't forget, you know, and, and, and I'll have forever. And, you know, the Supercross season for that was, was, was great. And I got that third. And then the next one, I think I was the fastest qualifier to practice. And then I had a crash in the heat, had to come through an LCQ. And then, you know, then it just kind of went a little sideways and, and I had been trained so dang hard, and I was so thin. Um, and before uh, Daytona, of all of them, I got sick. And um, but then I was just in a weird spot. I actually was like um, in a in a Supercross. I was getting tired like really, really quick, and not knowing what's going on. And and uh, Roger wanted me. I think both 250 riders got hurt at the time, Kevin and Pastrana. So I was the only one with any 250 experience. And and uh, Roger's like, hey, we want you to ride the 250. And, I, and it was a great opportunity, but I really wasn't where I wanted to be. I was having this problem, like I said, and I, I grabbed Roger to the side, and I'm like, look, man, I, I need to rest, you know, because the East Coast was going on a break. And to, it was such a good and bad decision. Like, you know, I probably should have raced looking back on it, but me taking that time off and letting myself get back healthy led to the summer I had, you know. I don't think I could have had that summer – um, doing that while racing, if I would have kept pounding, pounding my body, you know? Yeah. Like, uh, it definitely some lessons learned as far as, um, fatigue and, uh, getting the body ready. And at this point in your career, you're, you're, uh, uh, you're a seasoned veteran and, uh, and know the lay of the land. Um, mm-hmm. As far as like my, my my friends over at Bill's Pipes are huge sponsors of the show. They 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 help me out like a great deal. I'd be they would be uh, a wee bit miffed if uh, I didn't ask you uh, what those Bill's Pipes Suzukis were like. In the fact that uh, my dad often remarks that uh, every time he he sees that I'm posting something about Bill's Pipes or he sells mm-hmm. me wearing my Bill's Pipe uh, uh, baseball cap, he thinks uh, Buddy Antonez, and that's uh, that's pretty cool <laughs> to be uh, attached to uh, to a brand like that. Oh man, Bill and Jeff and, and Barbara, that they are just the best people. And, and once again, like going over there with such a, a family vibe and, and, you know, they, they genuinely were, were into your racing and, and making you better and, and, uh, doing whatever needed to happen. You know, I remember when we were first starting out and, uh, you know, arena cross and they were just getting, I think it was, uh, we were with Honda steel. And I remember Jeff working on my practice bike to help me, you know, and then when we went to Suzuki and then more support came, you know, they even, they even went in, you know, more and, and, you know, just countless hours of improving that bike, you know, and, and I remember, um, you know, 
how good they were, but sometimes you don't, you know, you're on the stuff, so you don't realize it. And I remember uh, the year I was going to um, uh, Supercross, Motocross, uh, they had hired Pedro and Rusty and Brad Access to run the re- ride for the arena cross team. And uh, they had built them a new bike, Bill's had. And, uh, they, you know, they were kind of fussing with it. And, and um, Billy Whitley, who was big part of, of, of my championships as a team manager and, and uh, helped them guide me through there, um, Billy goes, hey, bring your practice bike out for, for these guys to ride it and test. And I remember Pedro jumping off the thing and going, Oh my God, that's I want that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and it was my practice bike, but you know, um, you know, it's just kind of cool for him getting off what he got off, and then and then stepping on to something that I, you know, me and Bills and and RG3 and 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 all the people um, around it had built, and then having so much praise over it, you know, it was it was a cool cool moment. For sure, and and just to know that uh, you, you've got the the testing chops to uh, to make a bike uh, something something really special uh, was that was that something that ever translated over uh, to uh, for you for four strokes at all or uh, are you, you, you you still uh, uh, if I if I put a a two thousand and two RM one twenty five in your hands is that is that where you're you're probably uh, most at home? You know what? It, it's funny. You know, I I was I raced a four stroke my last year. Um, but only a little bit, and it was stock for a lot of time because you know that we just didn't have that much support where I was at. Um, we had some, but just not figuring it out quick enough. Um, but you know, I was saying this to somebody the other day. Um, you know, because if I am going to race Tennessee, like I got to start. I've always just ridden a four stroke, just playing around. You know, the, the little bit I race it, and um, you know, I got to I got to adapt to some of the newer things that I'm coaching and preaching. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping that if I can do that too, I get the feeling of, of what it is. And maybe it gives me even some more insight to help coach it as well. Um, but, uh, funny story, I usually ride on my birthday, you know, once, I usually ride once or twice a year. And so this last, uh, April, um, I rode on my birthday and, and, and Weston had a YT250 and I'm like, I don't want to ride that. And, uh, Nathan Ramsey came out riding and he had a, a KTM 450 and, and we're we're messing around on the main track, and then they shut down the water. We go over to the vet track, and you know it's a little bit easier. So me and him get together. We start to wick it up. Before I know it, I'm trying to wring the 250s neck, and Nathan's just up a gear, just pulling away from me. <laughs> and I'm like, "What the hell? I need a 450." <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you see, you're not going to be like Robbie, uh, <laughs> Robbie Raynard, and, and race a 125, and uh, and still win motos at the ranch. Ah, gosh, I, I, um, I don't want to ride that hard to be honest with you because riding a two stroke, you know, is a, is a whole different level of riding, you know, they're not, they're, they're not forgiving. Um, you make a mistake and you're going to feel it, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, keeping them in the RPMs and all that, you know, like, you know, some of the schoolboys kids I coach, you know, um, because nobody rides two strokes anymore, kind of the art of it's getting lost a little bit, you know. And I try to tell them, like, you got to make that thing sing to you, you know. You should be feeling that thing, and you, you can't let it fall down too low. And, uh, you know, they just, it's tough for them to grasp, you know. Um, yeah. And some of them are coming off of, of super minis, but um, going up to that next level of 125, it's a whole other level of, of riding, you know. So you have to um, go even harder, you know, 
and it's, it's super mini power to weight's a little different, but um, anyhow, it, I think it is getting lost a little bit, but um, Robbie, for instance, you know, uh, that was that was pretty cool. Uh, I didn't actually see it, but I, I heard about it, and uh, I was like, whoa, you know, and the conditions and everything, it was muddy, rutted, you know, technical, so um, it wasn't, yes, exactly. Um, not to say it wasn't a great, great deal, but I actually think like I was talking to Tony Berluti not too long ago about it and racing at the ranch. And he's like, he's like, uh, we're talking about this. And I think the ranch is great for, for two stroke for how the track is, but you just get murdered off the line, you know? Oh, totally. Yeah. No, I, even, even on my, I, I raised the 450 B class on my 252 mm-hmm. stroke and, uh, the best I can muster is about a top three start. And that like, that's if I, if everything goes totally perfect. So, uh, it's very, very difficult. And then for the fact that like every time on a four stroke, when, when you're, if, if you're on a two stroke, every time you're in a wrong, you're in the wrong gear on a four mm-hmm. stroke, you're not. So you add those up over a, over one lap, there's yeah. your time that you're going to lose every single lap. And if it's a seven-lap race, then there's your 30 seconds that you're going to lose by. So there you go. That's true. Very, very true. So um, yeah. as as your, your competitive career kind of uh, started to wind down, I'm going to dial the clock back just just a little bit to mm-hmm. – we kind of – Bro, like we we started this off by talking about uh, Tony Berluti uh, being your uh, your mechanic for uh, your your first season as a professional. He returned mm-hmm. as your your mechanic for 2002, and uh, I go mm-hmm. back to a quote of his from uh, Unadilla, and uh, he was talking to you guys about uh, um, line choice, and mm-hmm. uh, you're going way outside after gravity cavity, and he told you that's not fast. I think he, you looked at him like you're from the moon. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What uh, what was it like uh, reconnecting with your mechanic like that? And do you recall when uh, you were choosing that line in practice and uh, and and Tony giving you shit? Knowing me, I was probably just wanting to stay out of the mud. Yeah, most likely. <laughs> um, but no, uh, reconnecting with Tony was like what exactly I needed to do. What I did that season because you know he he knew me. You know he knew um, which buttons to push. You know, and, and the great thing about Tony is Tony don't bullshit at all. You know, he, he, he yeah, sorry if I cussed on your show, but, oh, um, it's internet radio, man, go for it. Okay. He, he, he pretty much just gives it to you how it is at all times, you know? Um, and the great thing about Tony too, is he's a supporter, whether you're first or 20th, you know, he's always going to be doing the same job. And that's, that's huge, you know, and, and, and that season we were able to, um, make some moments like we did the first season. So that was, um, you know, not, not winning, but for us, you know, at the time, you know, coming from what I'd done back to where I was, you know, they were small victories, you know? Um, and so, uh, you know, I really, um, towards the end of that season in the outdoors, I really was feeling really comfortable and, and, uh, and looking forward to the next one, hopefully getting to do it again. And, and I know after Washougal, I crashed in the second moto and I think came from last up to like sixth or seventh in the second moto right on to Ernesto. And, uh, I remember, you know, um, Ray and Roger were a big part of the team at the time. And, and, uh, you know, Ray talking like, you know, something was going to happen for next year. And I was like, all right, yeah, I was looking forward to it because, you know, once you get that comfortability and you know, the guys you're racing against, you know, it's easier to figure them out the next season, you know, and, uh, know, and also know what you need to prepare for. Um, 
And so, uh, you know, that was short-lived. I think about Millville, I went out to dinner with Roger and and uh, and uh, Ray, and, uh, you know, um, they told me they wanted me back in, in Arena Cross, um, you know, uh, which I thought was awesome that they, they took me out to dinner and told me the way they did. It was it was very, uh, very cool deal. And, um, you know, I, I knew they were they were looking at this Matthew Lelou's kid, and he had went out there and, and uh, tested at the track farm. And I remember racing Matthew in Switzerland in 2000 when Arena Cross went over there. And, and I looked at him and I said, uh, you know, I told him, I said, I think you're making a mistake. But, you know, hey, you know, it is what it is, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously, um, Matthew didn't do a whole lot. But, you know, he was no, a great rider. Most, most even listening to this podcast won't remember yeah. Matthew Lowe's, that name, unfortunately. It was, it was a great rider, you know, but I just don't think he was, uh, he knew how to prepare enough or, or was ready for that, you know, um, yeah. personally. Um, so anyhow, I, I remember, um, being out testing in Supercross, uh, getting ready for arena cross and a few of the, the Supercross guys came out and I was, I was faster than them, you know, and I was bummed. I wasn't going back to Supercross, but at the same time I felt like, Oh, you know, I get to go see all my old friends and, 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 uh, go, go make some more money. <laughs> there you go. And, uh, and by then it was, uh, uh, a and Demuth was nipping at your heels and, uh, it was a full drag out war. And even, I believe if that, if I'm not mistaken, that was the year that, uh, Damon Huffman or Damon Bradshaw came back on the 45 machine. No, he was the year, um, the year after the year, I think he didn't come back to 2005. Or was yeah, it? Yeah, before? you're right. It was. It was yeah. uh Maybe oh four or five because I know he he uh, he he ended up battling with Jake Weimer and said he was going to break his legs. He, I wasn't there, so I must have been after me because I remember seeing him at uh, the the old U.S. Open. We we're up at the uh, somewhere at the bar or whatever, and he's like, we were, I was talking with Zach and and him, and he's like, man, that's one thing I was looking forward to was when I was going to Reacross was racing you. And, uh, and that was kind of cool. You know, that guy was, uh, he was a badass, and I, I loved watching that guy ride. No doubt. Well, uh, there's a lot of people that, uh, really enjoyed watching you do what you do on a motorcycle, man, and, oh, thank uh, you. for, for your entire career. Uh, let's, let's, let's dive a little bit into what you do now and, uh, mm-hmm. how you've used all of those lessons learned and, uh, and, and cultivated all of those great relationships, uh, which I think is the key to, to really uh, not only your success but anybody's success in in, uh, in life is to build those great relationships. And now you've built this uh, this really this true respect from an entire uh, community, and you've you've parlayed that into uh, to, to really helping out some of uh, both both amateur and professional these these racers who uh, want to take their their skills to the next level, take their careers mm-hmm. to uh, mm-hmm. to podium performances, which is what like. So for some of the guys you've worked with, you've really helped them propel themselves to uh, heights they probably themselves couldn't have uh, imagined. Thank you. Yeah, man. Um, a lot of that, like uh, with the whole thing about you know the keeping the, the the surrounding of the industry. You know, one thing my dad taught me was you know not leave any bridges burned. You know, so I always tried not to do that. You know, and I always tried to to, to shoot everybody straight at what's going on, and uh, I think that helped a bunch. Um, so, which, which, you know, then, you know, kept my name good, which is something I've always kept coveted and always tried to make sure that it stayed good. Um, and so, which led me into this coaching. And the crazy thing is, is um, 
to have a um, a camp before Ponca in Tennessee um, each year at these, 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 these people we used to ride with, the Pitchels, um, here up in Owanga, which is just above Temecula where I live now. And we used to go to these camps, and he got – Damon Huffman was a part of them. Um, you know, uh, um, Steve Cox, you know, a, a, a lot of – you know, Steve Cox didn't do much in the racing world, but he, he, you know, through going through my dad, he did some little desert racing and things like that. And um, you know, my dad had this knack for for relating to all his kids, you know, and being able to describe things or motivate us, you know. And I truly believe when I got into this um, this field I'm in now, um, it's a lot of my dad coming through me and being able to to um, to connect, you know, because, um, you have to be able to explain things correct and get the kids to listen, even the pro guys, and you have to put it in terms that, that they can, you know, accept it and relate and then put it to use, you know, um, you can't just say you're hitting the turn wrong or, Hey, you're, you're riding like a, you know, P U S S, you know, um, you know, you have to, you have to stay calm. You have to, also know they're not going to do everyone correct and you have to keep grinding. And <clears throat> that's one thing that, like I said, through my dad, you know, he, I'm able to keep that um, energy channel towards teaching them to learn and, and not get too emotions too high or low. And, and, and then also be a cheerleader, you know, um, yeah. because sometimes, sometimes, you know, you hear probably everybody's heard a lot of people say, you know, uh, motocross racing is 90% mental and it, it truly is, you know, um, you know, I try to tell my young kids, you know, you have to walk to the line, believing you can win, you know, some spot in your brain has to say you can win, you know, and, uh, maybe it doesn't happen this season, but if you say that to yourself long enough and you start improving, that could happen, you know, um, you don't want to walk to the line for 15th place, you know, who wants to do that? You know, nobody. so you, you, nobody, um, us vets now, you know, we can do that. That's fine. Um, yeah, oh, totally. But, I don't even look at my results but, anymore. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that that is there. And then, you know, um, uh, working with, with Eli, for instance, and winning the championship with him in Supercross in 12, that was that was awesome, man. That was a really great moment, and, and I'll forever remember it. And then, um, you know, working with Weston, Pike, and, and – and, uh, advancing him the way we did, you know, uh, was great. And, and, and truly, uh, through that, you know, I've developed a great friendship with him as well. And, uh, Justin Barsha, you know, last season, um, was connecting with him and winning Bud's Creek and him winning Red Bud and nearly winning Washougal. Like, um, those were great things. And, and the great thing is I say this about Barsha, for instance, like, you know, he grew up around MTS and a lot of those things, and so when I started doing some of the drills and some things with him, like he took to it like, like a fish does water, you know, he, and it just started improving his confidence. And, and that was a lot what we needed to get back with him. Um, so it was, and all those are just, you know, rewarding moments. Um, and taking a step back with my amateur kids, and, and uh, I remember taking a few years to finally win a, a championship at the ranch with my amateur kids. And... Um, you know, I kept playing with this, the recipe of what to do for the amateur kids and playing with it, playing with it. And finally, it, 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 we won back there and, and uh, you know, was able to, you know, keep things moving. And, and uh, it's a lot of fun, you know. It truly is. And, and sometimes, 
sometimes the most fun is taking somebody who um, doesn't have the skills of the the other kid and and, and making them have the skills and, and rising up to their level. You know, that's that's a lot of that's that's probably one of the most rewarding feelings. Watching them grow and get faster. Oh, for sure. Just like any uh, any any parent would, if you put in that uh, that work and you create that bond, and uh, you're just uh, smiling ear to ear, just as they are underneath the helmet. What would you say is the the biggest challenge you have uh, when it comes to to motivating a rider or teaching a rider? Because uh, what you do is pretty special in the fact that uh, you're you're more you're polishing some pretty already guys who uh, you're, you're you're polishing the one percenters to be able to to uh, rise even above that. What's the biggest challenge from that? Well, you know, with the pro guys, you're you're you know they they know what they're doing and I ride dirt bikes so. Lots of times you're just making sure they're not missing anything or they're not doing one thing wrong, you know, so that they're riding the best that they can on that day. Um, sometimes we're working on developing certain other, you know, deals um, technically, um, but at the races and things like that, you're 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 trying to get them to, you know, not miss something. So the the hardest thing to juggle is them getting the bike dialed in, working with everybody else, and then inserting myself where I need to be inserted without stepping on anybody else's toes at that point. And uh, with the amateur kids, you know, it's just the repetitiveness and not letting them get too down on themselves when they're trying to learn something and they're just not getting it. Um, and, and and you're staying with it, you know, because sometimes it's tedious, you know, and, and you, you're trying to teach them something and, you know, it's taking longer than you think, but, you know, you you see they do a couple of them the way they're supposed to be done, so you know what's in them, so then you just got to get to where it's finally a consistent thing. Um, you know, and, and a lot of my success with my amateur kids, uh, I believe, had come because I was able to teach them things before they were naturally ready for them. You know, some things you'll evolve the more you ride and learn, you know, but I was able to take things and teach them how to do things earlier, you know. Um, so you know, with that, you know, then they're developing more speed earlier. Um, and the great thing is too, for me looking at it, like I think when I started seven years ago doing this uh, full time, um, there was only a few coaches out there. Now it's becoming a, a, uh, a more saturated deal, which is great. You know, these, they're all learning more and, and even the pros are adapting it more. And, you know, it's, 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 when you look at it, it's one of the things like every other sport has a coach trying to develop skills, motocross, exactly. you know, and now they finally do. So I believe once everybody gets going in the right direction and having everything they need, it should make racing better as well. And safer. And safer. You're exactly correct. Yeah. Yep. Very much so. That That's, that's incredible. <clears throat> uh, Buddy, it's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, uh, I'm going to request that you be a repeat offender on the, on the oh, show yeah. to come on again and uh, to bench race and, and talk more about uh, the career that's been and the career that's uh, that's ahead of you. Uh, it's been really cool to go down memory lane with you, and uh, I feel like uh, maybe have uh, uh, cultivated a little bit of a friendship here. That's pretty cool. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I'd love to do it. We didn't even touch the surface on something, so uh, we got to yeah. do it again. For sure. Let's. Uh, I had a long 15-year career, so um, there's probably a lot you can probably jog my memory on too. There we go. <laughs> well, uh, we'll have to do a, a volume two at, at another time. But uh, absolutely. Uh, 
uh, like, like I said, really appreciate you giving me some time. Um, and uh, I'll have the two. Uh, at, at so, uh, when I come down to California, make sure I bring my motocross bike. And uh, if, if you can bring your motocross bike, on... and I'll come out and give you a lesson. You can see what we're all about, and then you'll have more of an insight. And that guarantee I might be able to get you where you might be able to beat those 450s on a regular basis on that two stroke. Oh, that's the way to be. <laughs> Love it, man. But uh, don't right. hang up just yet. But for podcast okay. sake, we'll cut it off right there. Thanks, Brad. Thank you for listening to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by 100% Goggles. Be sure to head to Ride 100%, that's R-I-D-E, 100-P-E-R-C-E-N-T.com to check out all available product, goggles, and a full rundown of the company itself. Also make sure that you check out RacersIndex.com to register and find yourself an industry job. If you're a mechanic looking for a job or if you're a rider looking for a job, go to racersindex.com. As always, thank you guys so much for listening and contact me at bradgebhart88 at gmail.com for any suggestions or review or feedback. Always appreciated. Thanks again for listening. Another day is nearly done A darker gray is breaking through a lighter one A thousand sharpened elbows in the underground That hollow hurried sound of Feet on polished floor And in the dollar is closing up and counting loonies trying not to say I hate Winnipeg The driver checks the mirror seven minutes late The crowded rider's restlessness enunciates Guess who sucked? The Jets were lousy anyway The same route every day And in the turning lane Someone stalled a game He's talking to himself And hears the price of gas repeat his phrase I hate Winnipeg
Winnipeg.